Hello, Russell Davis here uh, with another in a series of interviews with top planners, um, which I'm doing with the APG in celebration of 50 years of planning. Um, you can find more about that out on the APG website. This time I'm talking to Lucy Jameson of Uncommon, um, who has some great stories about making great work. Uh, I have to apologise to her and to you, because I had a brilliant chat with Lucy for about an hour but you'll only get to hear about 20 minutes because I screwed up uh, a bunch of files. So there's stuff missing off the beginning and off the end. So sorry about that. And we pile straight in with um, Lucy talking about Volvo because I've tried to preserve as much as possible. So it's slightly an abrupt start. But other than that, I think, um, and I hope you'll really enjoy it. They have a vision, Volvo has a vision, which is no one should be hurt in or by a Volvo by 2020. Which is quite a bold ambition. And you can imagine if you'd done an ad about that vision, it would have been absolutely horrific, really trite. But actually, so that was one thing. Over there they had the kind of um, vision bit. And then over here we knew we had a car launch. Um, and it was a car that had the IntelliSafe feature, which consents when there's something yeah. outside the car yeah. but we didn't actually have a car so we couldn't shoot an ad we couldn't do any of the classic things that you would do yeah. and those two things came together really nicely and the third thing was we had a Scandi team working on it and they were looking at road safety and of course the biggest issue with road safety in Scandinavia is people having car accidents with elks and reindeer and um, and so they uh, had found this Swedish startup which had done special paint for reindeers and elks that lit up in in car headlights. Put those three things together, and it came to life paint, which then took nearly a year to actually be sold in because right. our UK clients wanted to do it, and the global organisation at Volvo didn't so much. And then what was interesting was it was really quite challenging. We wanted to do the deal where we ended up doing a licensing deal with Albedo. So we got paid a pound for every can sold and it was sold in VW mm -hmm. dealerships. But actually that was, even that was quite problematic because it just wasn't money coming in in the normal business model. So you're kind of going, hello WPP, I would like to take some money in a completely different way. And yeah, they're yeah. a bit like, well, you're an ad agency, you charge by the hour. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. It, this is n not how you're supposed to do it. And for us, I guess, it, it was really frustrating. You could also see that if we'd acted differently, and if we'd just got off our backsides and done it ourselves, it would have been so much bigger. We might have struck a completely different deal with Volvo. We might have sold it in loads of other places. It could have been a much more kind of powerful, ongoing kind of thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it still has a Volvo part and it's still sold in dealerships. Mm -hmm. But it started to make us think about, right, what are all the different things that have got in the way of this process? And if we were set up differently, not part of a big holding company mm. and allowed to be a bit more entrepreneurial and invest a bit of time and money up front in things, maybe we could do things quite differently. I guess it started to kind of just put a bit more of a fire under us thinking maybe, maybe there's another way, maybe we should try 
set something else up ourselves. So that one is yeah. quite a personal, not because I've had any great involvement in it. There were a client I kind of vaguely looked after, yeah. but because of how it made us think about things. It, yeah, it precipitated something. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This so far has been the really interesting meaty bit, like a piece of work um, with a sort of interesting backstory where, where mm. oh, you know, there's, mm. a, there's the conventional story and then there's other stuff that happened. Marmite, I'm going to talk about a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked on Marmite and I worked on it from about 1996. And when I came onto it, it was honestly... It was, I think they were called CPC, corn products, and it was Best Foods, and it was a really nice but quite sleepy foods company. And Marmite was very definitely a family brand, and it was my mate Marmite, and they'd had those ads around the soldiers, kind of running around going, my mate Marmite, and then it had reverted. They'd figured out, actually, a lot of it was about the life cycle of mums giving it to kids. And so they tried to do, and we tried to do, ads around um, my mate through life. So that kind of, you know, there were some pretty cheesy ads with the same music on uh, that ended up in the my mate uh, love hate ads um, that that featured kind of, you know, kids up chimneys on top of clouds and stuff and families and whatever. Right. So my mate, Mama, my mate through life, and. Honestly, there was me and a suit at the time, Ed Docks, who's ended up as an author. Both thought it was a bit dull. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went away and did some number crunching and kind of went, look, there's a load of lapsed, lapsed buyers who stop eating it when they're 18 because they just think it's a bit embarrassing because it's the kind of stuff you only ate when you were a kid with your right. mum. Right. Um, and they don't come back to it until they have kids if they come back to it at all and so we did a really just some basic number crunching which was like there is this kind of target audience these are the percentage of people who lapse why don't we try and go after that audience and keep kind of young people engaged in it not just families and honestly I hadn't got a lot further than that and we'd sort of said we think the reason they probably still like it is because it tastes great. In fact, I think the brief was something sort of really terrible, like get it out of the cupboard or something really, really <laughs> rubbish. Um, but we'd done enough work to kind of persuade the client that there was a different opportunity right. with a different audience and maybe we might need a different tone of voice. And it wasn't until we briefed Rich and Andy, McLeod and Blinton, one of whom loved it and one of them hated it. And they kind of went, well, don't you do that? And we went, oh yeah, that sounds good. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so we went away and they did one ad, which was, I love Marmite. No, it was my mate Marmite. And it was all about friendship with Marmite. And the other about, I hate Marmite. Because they were trying to stay true to the, um, you know, the ads, the yeah. previous campaign. And this is an example of where Qual Research came back. Um, and actually we called it and everyone went, 
well, there's something really brilliant in that, but that one about my mate Marmite is totally shit. It's, I mean, I mean, who has their mate Marmite? And I think it originally had a picture of a Marmite jar, like a best man at, at a wedding mm. next to the couple getting married. <laughs> so it had some really bad things in it. And of course, everyone went, well, but you only love it because it tastes great. And so they went away and still had my mate and uh, I hate Marmite. So it was people trying to drown Marmite jars and stuff like that. But the my mate became, you know, you love it because it tastes amazing. And that campaign was then very successful. So that first ad, well, the first two ads were quite successful, but because Best Foods had to pay for two ads rather than one ad and the media was doubly expensive, the ROI was, I mean, it was a pretty bloody good ROI, mm -hmm. but it wasn't as good as maybe it could have been. It wasn't as good as it was the next year mm -hmm. when we did an ad which was um, love-hate, uh, and that was the first kind of love-hate ad. But that's one of those ones where I think lots of people think it was a genius bit of strategic thinking. It wasn't. It was one of them loved it, one of them hated it. <laughs> And, and the kind of original love-hate didn't come out fully formed. It wasn't until we did the qual research that we really kind of went, it was about the taste. And loving or hating the taste, not loving or hating the brand, if that makes sense. So it was one of those where I guess we were lucky, it did come out fairly fast and we had a very brave client and we'd researched it and it tested well and all of that kind of stuff. It started out honestly, not really with any great business desire to transform the thing of the business. Mm -hmm. It's really me and Ed thinking, this is a bit boring doing some family stuff. Can we try and make this a bit cooler? Was there, a, was there anyone in uh, Best Foods thinking the same thing or were they? I, I think we, I think they were, Amanda was great, the client. She was just um, kind of no nonsense. And I don't think she was thinking particularly that, but she did want to do something good and right. famous. And she could just see it was going to work. I mean, you yeah. could tell as soon as you were in research groups, right. oh yeah, this is going to work. Right. You could just tell. And was that first, so you made two ads, to start with the first time it was a single ad, was mm. that execution sort of bang on as yes, well? Yes, it okay. was. So Nearly good. wasn't. Right. I think, well, I think it was the first, the first one that did really, really well was a couple, and there was a, a couple who snogged and the bloke then choked because he didn't like the taste. And what was interesting about that was the kind of, obviously the gag of the ad was she was incredibly hot and you could tell he was like, yay, I've done really well for myself. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, as soon as they snogged, you know, he was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> maybe not. Um, but that ad only would have worked if you got the sense that that guy was definitely batting, batting above his average. And interestingly, the first director completely walked past that and tried to make them both really gorgeous. And the ad just wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah. So it was one of those interesting ones where, again, I think we had to sit down with uh, the TV producer and go, 
it's not right. And which again was quite unusual, I think, for planners to have a point of view on. I was going to say that. that's not normally part of the planning conversation, is it? No, I suspect probably the real truth was that one of the creatives was dating the suit. <laughs> as always kind of happens in those great stories right, and so right. yeah there was some influence applied that way that's always the truth isn't it i mean whether it's rich and andy one of them loving it or hating it yeah. or whether it's somebody dating somebody there's always a backstory and those relationships are usually the things that lead yeah. to great work how long did you carry on doing marmite oh i did marmite all the way i was at ddb so how many, uh, did you get fed up with it? 1996 to 2012. Wow. No, cause I didn't really, I mean, honestly, people would just, so for quite a long time, every year we would try and beat love hate. So pretty much most years mm -hmm. we would sort of slightly self-imposed and slightly um, Unilever imposed. Right. We would just try and beat it. Um, so we almost always had a separate strategy running and we were always looking at what could we do in terms of should we, you know, Marmite squeezy jars or is it Marmite in sandwiches this year or is it, oh, we're trying to do a battle between sweet and savoury or is it, I mean, we, yeah, every, pretty much every year there would be a, an attempt to have a new strategy, which I think is actually really healthy because it absolutely forced you to not be lazy about the work. Mm -hmm. Probably wasn't terribly cost effective no. in terms of hours, but in terms of keeping the work really sharp, it was. <laughs> so <laughs> what's a piece of work that you think deserves more attention? A little neglected thing or something. I'm not like sure. That. I'm not sure it really fits with this because mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's super neglected, but I think it's a piece of work that uh, deserves, still deserves attention today, and it'd be Guardian Points of View, which is a classic Webster skinhead ad, mm -hmm. which I still think. I know quite a few people in. Well, there are a few people in advertising who still think this is an amazing ad. I think it's an absolutely incredible ad and I think it is never more pertinent than now actually in a world of you know fake news bollocks general whatever mm -hmm. an ad that makes you think about your point of view on the world wow that I mean couldn't be more important at the moment and I don't think anyone is doing anything like it um, and I don't know who that should be, because I actually don't really think it's necessarily particularly true of The Guardian, because they have a very clear point of view on the world. Yeah. But I feel like it is some, some, something somebody should be saying. I just don't know who that is. <laughs> Maybe it's a public service ad, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kate picked that as well. Oh, really? Yeah, and That's also funny. said it's brilliant. Um, but also shouldn't really be an ad for The Guardian. No, yeah, well, exactly. Of, I think that's yeah. absolutely right. It's, uh, but it's one of those things where you go, um, wow, they, they've done a whole bunch of stuff, haven't they, in the States, that kids are not very good at judging sources um, right. of stuff they see on social media. Mm -hmm. And they really cannot judge, and they're just not, 
It's not one of the things they're taught and educated to think about and question where does it come from and mm -hmm. therefore what's what's the angle and why does it read this way? Mm -hmm. And you kind of think that ad is just a brilliant, brilliant way of getting people to think about that. Why do you think it works so well? Oh, it felt very true because you caught you were caught in your own prejudices. I mean, honestly, mm -hmm. in a kind of world of unconscious bias, it absolutely plays into those really cleverly where you inevitably think you want to guess what's going to happen and of course you don't get it right and that's why it's so clever it absolutely played on people's unconscious biases in a time where we didn't even know what fucking unconscious biases were so yeah i mean john webster is absolutely is you know he's a genius he was totally was a genius do you think people if you talk to the average 20 something year old here they'd know no. Uh, we've got a new creative team who started um, started yesterday, and I said, "Oh, I was saying something about BNP," and they went, "You worked at BNP," and I was like, "No, no, 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 BNP," and they're like, "What's that?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'm old and irrelevant. Um, I remember the people who talked about CDP and da 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 when I started, and I kind of didn't really know what that was." Yeah, BMP's just the same. It's one of those dead agencies that no one's heard of any longer. Um, so I don't, I don't think they know it. I think people of a certain age in the industry know it. So yeah, it is. It's down memory lane. I'd forgotten uh, that I'm, I'm realising I'm going to get that effect, aren't I? Of people choosing, like more than one person choosing the same thing. That's going to be good. We'll, <laughs> we'll, have, a, we'll have a winner. At yeah. The end. Right.